As I prepared, uh, began to prepare for this message, the words of Jesus uh, kept coming to mind over and over again. And those words were these, in this world, you will have trouble. And all God's people said, I mean, you know, right? Okay. In this world, you have trouble. We live in a broken, fallen world. And because we live in a broken, fallen world, it is really, really messed up. You see it on a global scale. As you uh, happen to turn on the TV or look on the, an internet feed or something like that, you see just how much heartache and trouble and war and famine and disease and, and cruelty, you see it all displayed before your eyes in real time right there in front of you. But you don't have to do that. You can open your local paper. You can open the Lake Oconee News. You can open the Herald Journal. You can o- open up the Atlanta paper. The, you can open up the Athens paper and you can see displayed before you incident after incident after incident that shows you just how broken and fallen this world is. But you know what? You don't even have to look that far, do you? You can just open the eyes and look around you. Maybe you can even just look in the mirror and realize that we live in a broken, fallen world. And a world like that brings trouble to our hearts. A world like that tends to kind of set us back and, and makes us want to hide. It, it causes us to be, to be fearful. This morning, this morning, I want to let you know that Jesus wants to speak something into your life today. In the scripture we're going to read in just a few moments, Jesus is going to speak hope for the troubled heart. And for some of you, you need to hear that. Jesus is going to speak peace to those of you who came in, minds and lives full of fear. And these are not going to be empty words. It's going to be words that he backs up. We're in our series of messages entitled, I Am. They basically look at the I Am sayings of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. And and today we're in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, although we really could be looking at the entirety because it is incredible stuff. And I just want to call your attention to, to God's Word in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And we'll ask the Lord to help us understand this this morning. Father God, we do ask that you would open our ears so that we can hear our eyes, so that we can see our minds and our hearts, so that we can receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, we pray that your word would be a transforming word and that we would be changed having encountered you in your word this morning. So speak to us through the words of Jesus as he talks to his disciples Lord, let it come down to us through the centuries and be just as real in this moment as it was when he spoke it nearly 2,000 years ago. But we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 14, we'll begin with verse 1. And here we read, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Uh, that I go and prepare, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. We could go on. It is an incredible portion of Scripture, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it this afternoon if you had an opportunity. But in order for us to understand this and how Jesus begins in talking about hearts that are troubled, I think it's a good idea for us to look back into John chapter 13. And again, I don't have time to read the entirety of it this morning. It'd be a great thing for you to do this afternoon. I understand it's supposed to rain anyway, right? So this afternoon, open your Bibles and read back to back the 13th and 14th chapters of John's gospel. And I think as you see those together, it'll just bring a fullness to it. So let me just give you the highlights or the lowlights of John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, it begins with Jesus blowing the minds of the disciples by washing their feet. Now, we, we've heard about Jesus washing feet. It, it's not quite as a powerful image, perhaps, for us as it could be. But you need to remember that they expected something of Jesus. They really expected him to come and be that king that sits on the throne, the one that's, that's exalted in the city of Jerusalem, on a throne, reigning over his kingdom, reigning over the world. That's what they expected of Jesus, for Jesus to take a towel and a basin and to kneel down and to wash the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples. It was an incredible thing. It was an act of service, and it blew their minds. The next thing we see as we move along in the 13th chapter of, of, uh, of John's gospel is that, that Jesus announces that one of the 12 is going to betray him. One of the 12 is going to sell him out. Well, that's bad enough. Then Jesus begins to talk about going away, and where he's going, they could not follow him immediately. And then finally, he tops it off by actually fingering Peter and saying, you are going to deny me not one time, but three times before the sun comes up. Now, it is into that context, having shared all that with his disciples, it is into that context that chapter 14 comes into play. It, is, it helps us to understand why their hearts were troubled. Because this Jesus expected, this Jesus that they'd hoped for, this Jesus they'd longed for, this Jesus that in, at least in part they had created in their minds was not the Jesus who was standing in front of them. And it wasn't that he had changed. He was, he was who he was. He was doing exactly what he came to do. 
He had not changed in the slightest. It's just that when they came to Jesus, they brought along with them all these concepts, all these ideas, all these dreams of what a Messiah ought to be. And quite frankly, Jesus wasn't living up to their expectations. It's kind of interesting as I talk with couples and they're preparing to get married. Premarriage counseling, it's, it's kind of an awkward time for a lot of people as they come and you talk about the things that are going on in their lives and the changes and you ask them to kind of dig deep into their lives and they begin to share things with one another. Sometimes they've never shared before, but here's a deal. And I tell everybody who's preparing to get married, soon after you say, I do, you're going to wake up. It may be a few days. It may be a few weeks. It may even be a few months along the line. But you're going to wake up and you're going to look at that person who's laying there in the bed next to you. And you're going to wonder, what in the world did I do? Who is this person? This is not the person I dated. And for many of you, it'll bring about disappointment and disillusionment. And sometimes marriages may not even survive the first year because the expectations that we bring with us in the marriage. It may not be that the husband or the wife is the problem. Maybe it was our expectations, what we had put on them, and they didn't match it. And so here we have a situation as disciples now have followed Jesus for three years, and they brought along with them their expectations. They brought along with them their hopes and dreams. They brought along with them their desires. Remember, they, it's not too long in the past that they had tried to get Jesus to guarantee them seats of position on his right hand and left hand in the kingdom that was to come. And Jesus said, guys, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're asking for. But they had this vision. They had this idea. They had this dream of who Jesus would be in the kind of kingdom he was setting up. And Jesus was dismantling that here in John chapter 13. He was giving them something that didn't sit well with them. And so Jesus speaks into their hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. I know you're upset. I know you're anxious. I know you're in turmoil right now. I know your world's been turned upside down. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And here's the deal. Even though they'd been with Jesus for three years and seen the things that they'd saw and heard the things that he taught, they still wanted him to be the Jesus they wanted him to be. And the fact is, Jesus did not come to be the Jesus they wanted him to be. And I hope that I don't disturb your world too much by saying this. But the reality is, Jesus did not come to be the Jesus you want him to be. He came to be the Jesus that he was. He came to be the Jesus that he is. And at some point, you and I have to deal with that. At some point, you and I have to have the same kind of uh, of sit down with Jesus that the disciples had and let him lay it all on the table for us and say, okay, this is who I am. Do you really want me? 
Or would you rather have this made up, this idea of Jesus, this ideal of Jesus? Which one do you want? Which one do you want to follow? Which one fits your life better? Which one fits your expectations? Which one are you willing to follow? And, and hey, before you decide, you need to know the consequences of following the real Jesus or an imaginary Jesus. Jesus was not the Jesus that they necessarily wanted him to be. But he was exactly the Jesus they needed him to be. And that's true for us. He may not be the Jesus we want him to be, but he's exactly the Jesus we need him to be. And Jesus would not then change who he was or why he came for them. And Jesus today is not going to change who he is or why he came for us. He is who he is. But this so upset the apple cart of the disciples, Jesus had to follow up by saying, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he follows it up. He follows it up with the word believe. Now, I want to tell you, if you want the answer for the troubled heart, it's in what he says immediately following, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in, trust in, put your faith in God. Believe in, trust in, put your faith in me. Now, this God they'd heard about all their lives because they, they grew up, even if they weren't in a, a really, really religious, Jewish religious home, they'd still heard the stories. They still heard about this God. They heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They heard about the God who delivered the children of Israel from bondage, who parted the Red Sea, who provided manna in the wilderness and water from a rock. They heard about this God who shepherded his people. And this God who even when the people went astray would call them to come back and would show mercy to them once again. They had this this in their minds, in their hearts. Jesus says, believe in this God. When your world has been rocked, when it's been turned upside down, when your hearts are troubled and you're in the grips of fear, then you believe in this God, the God who has a track record of faithfulness. And that's one of the reasons that I encourage you to get into God's word and to read God's word. And you go, but there are things in there I don't understand. And why didn't these people just name their kids Jane and Mary and Bob and Sue? Why did they have to name their kids Zerubbabel? Who would ever think of naming their kids Zerubbabel? I wouldn't think of that. But we read through there and you go, oh, there's so many words, there's so many names that I don't understand. There's so many places that I don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't get it. And therefore, because I can't get all of this, and then I'm just going to push it aside. Listen, if you want your faith in the God of the universe strengthened, you need to know the kind of God he is. And the only way that you can know that is by experiencing him, not just in life, but experiencing him in his word. For some of you, you already set a pattern. I know many of you have read through the Bible every year for a number of years. And, and that, that's incredible because you get so much 
and you get it into context and it's all connected together, not bits and pieces strode here and there. But even if you can only get a chapter a day, even if you can only get a few verses a day, start somewhere, dip your toe into there to begin to understand who this God is. Jesus could say, believe in God, and they understood what he was talking about because they had an understanding of who this God was. Believe in him. When your hearts are troubled, when you are fearful, when your life has been turned upside down, and quite frankly, our lives get turned upside down about as frequently as our dryer rotates. Am I right? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. That describes our life. Someone asked me, hey, tell me what life is. I said, hey, life is redefining normal. It's constant change. It it just keeps tumbling over and over again. And, And you know, some days it turns out really, really well. And you feel like you're on top of the world. And some days it turns out really, really poor. I mean, it's bad. And you feel like the world is on top of you. Either way, the call of Jesus is the same. Believe in God. Believe not in the God you've made up, but in the God who is. And Jesus then says, and believe also in me. And the two are not disconnected. And he's going to talk about his unity with the Father here in a moment. But they're also not disconnected in that when we begin to read from first to last in the, in, in the Old Testament through the New Testament, what we encounter is God's promise of one who will come. And in this messed up, fallen, broken, shattered world, he would come to put pieces back together. And to make all things new. You believe in this God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Don't believe in me as the one you imagined I would be. Don't believe in me as the one that maybe you even hoped I would be. Believe in the Savior, the Messiah, the person I am. And then he goes on to say... I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is trying to help them understand, okay, I've said believe in me. Who is it that I'm asking you to believe in? Believe in me as more than someone who came to point the way. Prophets came to point the way. John the Baptist came to point the way. Jesus said, I'm more than one who came to point the way. I am the way. When he said, believe in me, he's not just saying, hey, believe in me because I've come and what I'm telling you is is truth and I'm communicating truth to you and I'm giving you truth for your life so that you can live a better life. No, Jesus didn't say, I've come to give you truth. He said, I am the truth. And Jesus didn't say, listen, if you want to know the keys, the seven keys to life, if you want to know how to have it all together, if you want to know how to live on top of the world, how to be successful and healthy and wealthy and wise, I can tell you all that. He didn't say, here, let me tell you how to 
get a better life. He said, I am the life. And he said, I am the only way for you to have a connection with this God that you already believe in. I'm the only way to come to the Father. Believe in Him. Believe also in me. You trust God. Trust me. Let me pick back up. I want us to see verses 8 through 11 again. And, and this, is, this is important because here's a question that Philip throws out. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. He's already talked about, you know, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. That is a bold statement. Hey, look, show us the Father, and that's enough. Well, duh. Of course it will be enough. If you could see the Father, that's, as a matter of fact, that was a stupid question, because if you go back and read throughout the Old Testament, and it basically tells us that, you know, to see the Father is just to be evaporated. I mean, it's just to be consumed. No one can look at the face of God. So this is kind of a bold question. Show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I'm in the Father, that the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now here, this is a crucial time. Jesus is speaking in the shadow of the cross. The agony of the cross is mere hours away. And he reveals in no uncertain terms something the disciples need to know. Remember, we've talked about in this entire I Am series that what Jesus is revealing is who he is and why he came. If you want to know what the I Ams are about, they're about who Jesus is and why Jesus came. Okay, so this is key for them to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came. And he begins to talk in some length about his oneness with the Father. Now, their lives, their worlds, their plans, their dreams had all been turned upside down. And they thought, that's such a big upheaval in our lives that, you know what? If we could just see the Father, I think we could manage this. If somehow we could see the Father, I think it would be okay. We could understand. We could come to grips with this. And Jesus says, hang on, guys. Open your eyes. Look, look, look at me. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When you have heard me, you have heard my Father. When you have seen the works that I've done, you've seen the works of the Father. We're one. You're looking for something of your own making, and here I am right in front of your eyes. I'm telling you who I am. I'm telling you why I came. And I know it's hard for you to accept because it's not the Jesus you expected when you first came and followed me. 
You expected something different. You expected something perhaps you think even more. But I'm here to set it straight. I am not who you think I am. I am who I am. The Father and I are one. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am God in the flesh. I am Emmanuel. I am God incarnate. Believe. Believe. Believe in me. And Jesus would say to us today, to those of us who came with troubled hearts, believe. Believe. And for some of you, that may mean putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. Your hearts are troubled because you know there's something more and you know there's something missing. But in all your searching to try to fill that hole, you've not found anything or anyone to fill it. To find what you're missing may mean today abandoning who you want Jesus to be to accept him for who he really is. And that's a major thing. Because most Americans have some idea of who Jesus is. Now, you will run into people from time to time who've not heard of Jesus, but most of us have heard of Jesus. We have some vague idea, at the very least, of who this Jesus is. But the problem is we have this idea of who Jesus is, and he may not be the real Jesus, so we kind of begin to fill in the gaps. We, We begin to fill in the holes with what we'd like and what we think is good and what we think is right. And if I were Jesus, this is the way I would be. And we begin to create a Jesus who's something different from the real Jesus and and quite frankly, something less than the real Jesus. Let me give you an illustration if I can this morning. Earlier this week, I was trying to set up a time to meet with someone and uh, I knew I had a meeting that was at 11 o'clock and the person wanted to meet you know, at 12. And I really wasn't sure I would be out of my meeting, whether the meeting would go early. And so we set, and I actually put this on my calendar. We set the meeting up, and I put this in my email. We set the meeting up for noonish. You know what I'm talking about? Noonish. Okay, it wasn't exactly, I mean, it might be at noon, but it might be a little before, it might be a little after. And so we set the meeting up for noonish. That was close enough. It didn't have to be exact. They were content with it. I was content with it. Noonish worked. For many Americans, and maybe for some of you sitting right here, right now, it's Jesus ish. For you, you kind of got a, ah, that's a close enough Jesus. Let me tell you about this close enough Jesus. This close enough Jesus rarely will say anything to you that would be negative or condemning or that might hurt your feelings in some way. The close enough Jesus is always going to be positive. He's always going to be accepting. He's always going to sweep those sins under the rug, put them behind him where he doesn't see them, anymore this close enough jesus he's never going to talk about judgment he's never going to talk about hell that would simply be too harsh and that would drive people away this close enough jesus is all smiles and high fives 
This close enough, Jesus. This is a Jesus who will throw the gates of heaven wide open and say, hey, y'all come. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't even matter if you believe there's a place for you at my table. This close enough, Jesus, will just be happy if you're trying hard. If you just do the best you can, then Jesus, this close enough Jesus, will be perfectly satisfied with that. He's not going to care all that much about sin and righteousness. In fact, this close enough Jesus, oh, and how many times I've heard this, he just wants you to be happy. This close enough Jesus, this close enough Jesus will slip you in the back gates of heaven even if his father doesn't want you there. This is the close enough Jesus. And you know, the only problem with this close enough Jesus is that he's not Jesus. He is not the Jesus who reveals himself and his mission. He is not the Jesus who for the sake of of sinful men and women would go to a cross and would allow himself, the perfect Son of God would allow himself to be crucified on an old, rough, wooden cross and would bear the sins of the world, would take my sins and place on himself and would allow himself to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Hey, listen, that same Jesus, that Real Jesus didn't stay buried on the third day. He rose again. That same Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and waiting to come back and to take his own home. Let me tell you what. The close enough Jesus won't save you. But the real Jesus, his heart is to save you. And for some of you this morning, You've been toying around with this close enough Jesus for a long, long time. Perhaps you're ready to change your day for the real Jesus. The Jesus who is God come to us. The Jesus who is the suffering servant. The Jesus who is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The Jesus whose blood was shed to cleanse us of our sin. The Jesus who's sitting right now waiting for his father to say to him, Son, go back and bring my children home. That may be the Jesus you need today. And any Jesus other than that cannot save you. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through Him. If you need that this morning, a few minutes, we're going to sing a final song. And I want to invite you to come down. We've got men and women who would love to share with you how you can know the real Jesus. But for some of you this morning, this message may have hit a little bit different chord. There may be some here today who once believed in such a way that it was almost like a a a burning fire. I mean, your passion was for Jesus. Your passion was to live for Christ. Your passion was to follow Christ. But if you were honest, you would have to say, Jesus is no longer the center of my life. 
He is more an accessory. I didn't get it this morning because I left home early. But very often as, as we're preparing to come on Sunday morning, very often Nancy will come and she will have one or two or three necklaces and she will try them on and ask me, of all people, ask me which one looks the best. And, and I can be honest with you, most of the time there's not a whole lot of difference. They all look good. And so here, guys, let me give you a hint. Just pick one. She's going to wear what she's going to wear anyway, so just pick one. Hey, listen, I'm thinking she's got clothes on. Everything else is an accessory. And some of the time, listen, isn't that the way we treat Jesus? He's an accessory. I've got my life right here. He's the earrings. He's the necklace. He's the shoes. For some of you, Jesus needs to stop being the accessory in your life. And he needs to be your life. And maybe you need to do business with God today and to come and to tell him, I am so sorry I've made your son an accessory. And I'm ready for him to be the foundation of my life from now and moving forward. If God's laid some decision on your heart, listen, don't put it off. There's a reason the Holy Spirit's tugging at you right now. Don't put it off. If you need Jesus, if you need Jesus, he's here to meet you. And you know what? If you need to start over with Jesus, he's here to meet you too. Let's pray. Father, thanks for meeting us in your word this morning and the challenge. It is It's not always easy, Lord, because there are times we'd rather have you be the God we want you to be. We'd rather have your son be the Jesus we want him to be. But Lord, we thank you that you're not content to allow us to, to go along that path without, without stopping us and confronting us with the reality of who you are and who your son Jesus is and why you sent him. And so Lord, we're thankful in days when we can encounter your word like this. Lord, I want to pray for those who hear the call this morning, the soft and, and tender call of Jesus. For some, that call may be to come home for the very first time. And for others, it may be those who kind of wandered away. And Lord, you're calling them to come back home. But Lord, I pray for each one of us who hears your call today that we could not do anything less than respond. We pray for it in the name of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, the life, and the only way to get to you, Father. Amen.